Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. Ariana. And today we'll be talking about the Iranian film that just got released this year, Hit the Road. But first up, we'll be talking about Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Uh, this was the recent uh, satirical biopic uh, released on the Roku platform, where we uh, have Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al Yankovic, the popular 1980s song spoofer, as we get a version of uh, Yankovic's life that is based on complete fiction. Uh, the writer, uh, Eric Appel, who wrote this with Weird Al, uh, Appel did no research on Al's life, and Al was happy that he didn't know anything about him, and they just kind of invented a whole made-up story of Weird Al's rise to fame. Mm-hmm. Uh with lots of cameos of comedic actors. We'll talk about all of that. Uh, but first, Ariana, what did you think of Weird, the Al Yankovic story? I think it's enjoyable, but I, I would understand for many viewers who are not used to Weird Al or aren't really used to consuming, I don't want to say cheap, like low-budget comedies, they might be put off by this. I, I think this is definitely... I saw a review where they were saying this is the kind of movie that will be held in the same regard as movies like UHF, where it's going to become a cult film. Yeah. But the people who love it, this is like, this is the movie for them. Like, this is the movie they've waited their lives to see. Yeah. Because it's just that specific wheelhouse of humor, the tone, the irreverence, where it's like the thing with Al Yankovic is he is a completely inoffensive comedian, ultimately, when you think about it. Yeah. Because all of his parodies of songs are just, I mean, My Sharona to My Bologna, Like a Virgin to Like a Surgeon, yeah. uh, Gangster's Paradise to Amish Paradise. They're just silly. Yeah. So it's it's an embrace. It's In many ways, it's kind of like the Steve Martin type of comedy you found in the 70s, yes. where nobody involved was trying to make any sort of political points or poke fun at anyone in a mean-spirited way. It's just silliness for silliness sake. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that is, it's a type of comedy that not everyone's looking for. No. And so it's, yeah, it's going to appeal to the diehard Weird Al people. Um, do you think this is a film where talking a lot about the performances means anything in, like, appreciation of the film? No, but at the same time, we do have to give some appreciation to Daniel Radcliffe for taking on this role. Because um, I don't feel as if he's ever short in being in anything that's spectacular. I feel as if like there's almost like an ego drop by taking this of sorts because it's not serious at all. He doesn't really look like Weird Al that yeah, much. Yeah, he doesn't resemble him at all. <laughs> um, in fact, I feel as if like they made him like... Go build a bit of muscle. Like yeah. maybe he was exercising. He's on a little regular ripped. Basis. He's a little ripped, so it was kind of distracting at times when he is. She's like, shirtless a lot. He's shirtless, <laughs> and you're just kind of like, it's one of those weird scenarios that we've had in a few movies where I'm just like, and it's not me being like, oh, Radcliffe is like not good looking. It's just sort of like, am I supposed to be looking at him in a sexual manner? And it's making me uncomfortable because he's playing Weird Al. <laughs> 
But I think that's that's where the humor comes from. Yeah. It's juxtaposing someone as like dorky and silly as Weird Al with this sort of serious, you know, edge lord take on celebrity. Yes, and um, also like Evan a- uh, Rachel Wood who plays Madonna. Who, who she's not playing Madonna, she's playing like a supervillain. Yes, she's playing yeah. this fake version of Madonna that's a supervillain, which I would be interested to know like people who aren't really used to this genre and like not understanding if they're just gonna be like I was wondering while watching the movie, oh, are they gonna think that this is sexist? In but I didn't find it that way because it's sort of like well, it's so it's absurd a, yeah, that I you're like, yeah. I think it's a play on the fact that, like, they're trying to point out in the film without being too obvious how, to a certain degree, to achieve the level of fame that he touched, and also Madonna touched, meant that you had to be very determined. And a lot of the times during the film, Weird Al's character's kind of like, I have to do what now? Because his, his bandmates are kind of like, no, you really have to work hard on this. He just wants to be done. Yeah, he just wants, like, it's that it's He's that like, now meme. I'm famous, I'm done, right? It's that <laughs> meme of being like, can't we just skip to the good part? Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, n- when it, it's, it's sort of reflective of, it's almost as if the Weird Al character is commenting on biopics. Of I just want to get to the part where, like, the character is, you know, old and appreciating everything he's had instead i have to go through these like the roller coaster of the highs and the lows of fame and it's also this amusing thing that like weird out along with being like not offensive is just probably unremarkable when it comes to the way his career went because we've never heard of any drug scandals we've never heard of any abuse allegations he's just he seems like a very just like chill dorky person. normal guy like he's just um, yeah there's nothing quinta brunson uh brunson i loved her playing oprah. oprah yeah she was so good and i know i've seen her like on i used to like follow her on buzzfeed she was one of my favorites mm. we really don't watch abbott elementary because that is not your thing i don't know having worked as a teacher for 10 years the idea of watching <laughs> education related media because i know what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna be very pedantic and go like well that's not how this works. Like, yeah. like you don't just walk into someone's classroom while they're teaching and there's a bunch of children there and like strike up a long conversation with yeah, them. Yeah, and like the funny thing is like we watched <laughs> but the that's first just me. episode that's just but me. that was just not going to work yeah, for you. Not for she me. was so good. Yeah, I, I, everybody that I've seen that's on that show I think is great. I think it's just you're never going to get an accurate picture of what it's like to be a teacher in America in media and for me, I'm like, I just can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> and the, but she was so good because she just had that flair that you needed for like the '80s, uh, an- like there was an news uh, anchor kind of thing. There was a rhythm to her voice. Yes, that whenever she started talking, because Oprah now is not the same as Oprah then. And when she started talking, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's the way Oprah used to sound on her show before she had sort of achieved. Because Oprah now, there's more of a a sense of comfort in her voice. Like, she's relaxed. She's very calm. Yeah. And this one is more performance. And she's it, it more, is, yeah, I'm hosting a show. Yeah, and it does fit, especially if you were a kid in the 80s and 90s and you, watching yeah. Oprah when she would be very, like, almost performative on stage. And she nailed it down. And there's just... Uh, I really liked um, the performances by his parents. Because yeah, it's, like uh, the it's silliest character thing. actors Julianne Nicholson and Toby Huss. Both that were in Blonde, funny enough. Yeah, they were I both thought- in Blonde, <laughs> which is a horrible biopic. 
And then they were in this. So, I mean, I guess they kind of, it, it canceled it out. Their 2022 is just neutral. <laughs> but uh, they both do such a great job of deadpan delivery of the stupidest lines. Yeah, I think my favorite was Weird Al's mom going like, you and my father, uh, like, your father and I have spoken and we've decided that we both you, agree that you yeah. need to stop doing what, being who you are and loving the things that you, you love. Because <laughs> it's, and so, yeah, like, to me, the joke there was in every biopic that involves parents and they aren't encouraging of their child's art or skill or whatever it is they're doing, this is a scene you always have. And I just love how on the nose, because what it was is this movie is the movie version of a Weird Al song. Yes. Where yes. he's taking oh a genre... So like the biopic, and he's going, well, here's what I would do with a biopic is make it completely factually incorrect. Yes. Uh, and just be as silly as possible with it. Now, he didn't invent this. Uh, one of the things I think many people, if you're a big moviegoer, especially a comedy fan, you're going to think of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox yeah. story. And that kind of did this already in a lot of ways. It kind of did. And I think it's like, it's one of those that you, I'm like, we're almost sad that that movie didn't like lift off the way it should have to let it really like cuz it was it's a reflect on this incredibly one incredibly good movie that nobody yes. talks about enough um but i felt like weird al was at the least a fun movie to watch and if you are like a like comedy buff you could see so many different comedians well, it, sprinkled around and, and you could tell like these these people were there because they loved weird al not only that the pool party scene is just you have to watch the movie for that alone because it's Al, of course, you know, if you know Weird Al's story, he was discovered by Dr. Demento, the radio host, who in this film is played by Rain Wilson. And Perfect casting. Oh, yeah, perfect the casting. Of the guy. Yeah. And so then uh, he brings Al to this pool party that is made up of a bunch of other like 1980s novelty acts. Uh, so you have like Jorma Tacone from, um, oh, whatchamacallit, uh, The Lonely Island is Pee Wee Herman. Yes. Yeah. You, so good because for a second, like from afar, is I that thought it Paul was Rubens? Actually, yeah. Yes. Um, you have uh, uh, Paul F. Tompkins as Gallagher, <laughs> which was so good. Um, and then you have like uh, Jack Black shows up as Wolfman Jack and nails that. He's so good. Uh, and it's just, it is that celebration of just silliness. Uh, oh, and then it was Emo Phillips. Uh, I can't for the life of me recall who he's playing. I mean, he could be playing himself. He was a novelty act yeah. in the 80s. But uh, yeah, he shows... He's playing Dolly. Oh, Salvador Dolly. Which, <laughs> I'm like, he needs to play Salvador Dolly in, a, in his own biopic. <laughs> like, he's he kind of exudes that kind of weird, wild-eyed yeah. kind of thing, that persona that Dolly would exude. Uh, but yeah, like, that scene is just one of those, like, this sort of, this is your treat comedy nerds for sticking with the movie, like... To this point, we're going to throw you this avalanche of, you know, genuinely funny references and performances and just silliness. Um, I mean, and even then, outside of that, you have um, Arturo Castoro, Castro, for people that might have watched um, uh, Broad City, as uh, Pablo Escobar, who within the fiction of the film is a huge fan of Weird Al. Which, funny <laughs> enough, like, he was in Narcos. I never watched Narcos completely. I know he was in it. Um, Arturo? Yes. I didn't know that. He was in Narcos, so only to come in, and like, which was about Pablo Escobar. He didn't play Pablo Escobar. No, okay. he didn't. Only to come in and play Pablo Escobar being a huge fan of Weird Al. That's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's full of all the contrivances that I think drive me crazy about biopics, where 
you know, there'll be a scene in a movie where, you know, Elvis sees a electric guitar in the store window and he's like, man, one day I want that guitar. But you can also hear like the introduction of a song yeah. while he's watching it. And then like, like you know, the, at it. and it's all meant to be that the audience, it's this sort of meta experience where the audience gets to feel superior because they're like, I know where this is going. Yeah. But it's silly because it's actually not reflective of that artist's growth and real experience. And I think this is probably a very accurate biopic thematically. It is teaching you about this is who Weird Al is. Yeah. And if you watch this movie, you're going to know who he is. Uh, my, my favorite thing that they do in the movie is by having Weird Al write songs and then the, the melodies get uh, mimicked by other artists. So it turns like he invents the song eat it and then michael jackson releases this song called beat it with the same music and he's just so mad and And the the joke there is that his whole career is made on using other people's work my favorite was like there there's that remark of being like hey but that's okay if people think that you like that you basically made a song based off Michael Jackson. Why would you be upset? He's uh, like a well-known artist. Yeah, He's it'll well get beloved. you more fame. He's not problematic at all. And yeah. you as the audience are <laughs> supposed to be like, ooh, well. And so that's that sort of reversal of a genuine biopics, letting the audience be in on something that the characters aren't. That sort of irony. Here, the irony is, well, we know Michael Jackson is a very problematic figure, and there's a lot of controversy surrounding yes. him. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very silly, very fun. Um, and it made me think one thing of what should the biopic be in the future? Because I feel movies like this, Walk Hard, have lampooned the formula so badly. I know Hollywood keeps using it, but they've got to stop at a certain point. Well, especially after Elvis. This yeah, Elvis. I mean, but I mean, even Elvis was at least more experimental than a lot of biopics. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it had that. And so I was thinking of other biopics that I would recommend to somebody that maybe liked Weird Al. Um... I'm Not There, directed by Todd Haynes, which is a biopic about Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. And he's played by a dozen different actors at different points in his life. As a child, he's played by a little black boy. The joke being that Bob Dylan found, like, almost all of his influence in, like, blues, folk music coming out of the black tradition. Yeah. So kind of almost a little joke that he's a little black boy in the way that he was influenced. But then, like, you even have Kate Blanchett playing Bob Dylan in yeah. a certain segment. Richard Gere. It's very interesting. Um, I was thinking of Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, even though it's a film with a lot of flaws. Tonally... It brings a sense of modernism into the story with the music. So it uses a soundtrack that isn't necessarily period music or a classical soundtrack, but like 80s new wave music. Yeah. And it kind of works. It, it You sort of feel the energy of that music working with the story. Well, probably also because of 80s consumption. Yes. Um, and then I was thinking of the films Jackie and Diana, both directed by... I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I'm going to look that up. But... uh. As those, and even though I really did not care for Diana too much, I do have to acknowledge that it was not the kind of biopic that you see every day. It was all, all takes place mostly like in a single day, and yeah. a Pablo Lorraine is the director of both those. Um, where in Diana, it's you're getting a very tiny chunks, this little snippet of the character's life, but it's sort of 
the moment in their life that defined them going forward and was sort of the impetus of the tragedy of her life. Yeah, it's when the moment that it shifts gear. So Jackie is, her husband dies, so she decides she's going to plan the funeral despite everyone else telling her that she needs to grieve. And she should be grieving, but she's like... I am going to make this a monument event. I am going to base it off of when President Clinton was... Be- uh, not President Clinton. That's, oh, that's a fantasy. <laughs> She's I a want. time traveler. Um, <laughs> no, Lincoln, you mean. Lincoln's Lincoln, funeral. Yeah, Lincoln's yeah. Uh, funeral. And then um, with Diana, it's the shift of her deciding that she's going to ha- get a divorce because she no longer wants to be with, Ch- uh, with Prince Charles because she knows that he's cheated and she no longer wants to participate in this family. When I actually think that the Weird Al movie is more similar to those movies than it is like um, the Queen movie and all that crap. Yeah. Because the Weird Al movie and Pablo Lorraine, they both understand the most interesting thing about a person is not a beat-by-beat reenactment of their entire life, but finding a an interesting moment from their life, mining that thematically as yeah. deep as you can, and saying, damn the real person. You can go read a biography about the real person. Yeah. Cinema is an experience. It's an emotional experience. So what's more important here is not that you walk away with an accurate understanding of the dates and names of people involved in the life, but that you understand who that person was. Yeah. And so Weird Al, while it's a very silly you know, fluffy little comedy, you know who Weird Al is when you walk away. The same thing you do with those other movies, Jackie and Diana. When you walk away, you're like, oh, I, I think I understand who that person was to an extent. Or Beyond the, the, like, yeah. what we see in the media, I got an understanding of them a little deeper than I did before. Yeah. Uh, would you recommend Weird Al? Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's a good... It's free. It's <laughs> free. <laughs> you can watch it at Roku, and I'm very surprised that Roku's doing all these different stuff right now, like hedging themselves to be a competition. But it's free. It's entertaining to watch. It's one of those things that you can watch and kind of like forget about how horrible right now the world is. Yes, it is one of those movies that like... You used to see those types of movies in the theater. Or you would see them playing a lot on cable. Yeah. It felt like one of those cable movies. It felt like... You would catch it on and you would go, oh, I remember this. And you'd sit down and watch it's it like, for where, what, wherever it was at. a series of films that like were comedic films. that was like Lampoon, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, represents this movie. National this Lampoon's National like Vacation? Lampoon. Yeah. It felt like those type of movies... Like, that was, like, it was a certain group of people that came in, and they're all going to make a film together. Or it felt kind of like Airplane, like the Zucker yes. movies, like, where it's just, just kind of, we're not here to make any sort of serious point. We're just here to enjoy, like, doing this together, making this silly little thing and pretending yeah, and together. Yeah, and it is, like, slapstick, and I understand the connection that you made with Jackie, because even though we still have the beginnings of watching him as a child and a teenager, then go to adulthood, but thankfully when it goes to adulthood, we don't do a flash-forward to... And then Al, blah, blah, well, blah. I think like, what he's doing is he's showing, isn't this silly going through my entire life? Like, isn't this just a silly endeavor? And probably, like, also understanding that he probably wanted to take reins before he dies. And, like, Somebody else made the movie. And, yeah. like, you know, like, man on the moon kind of shit on him. And he's oh, just going to yeah. be like, no, I'm not that type of person. I've lived a very good life. He probably had, like, somewhat supportive parents. Yeah, I would say man on the moon is an interesting one to bring up because... I think the problem with Man on the Moon ultimately is that it takes itself too seriously, which was something, um, and I'm drawing a blank on who Man on the Moon is about. 
Uh, I just keep thinking. I know, like Jim Carrey played the guy. I forgot the name of it, but it was just like not one of those films that just at the end was like that felt good afterwards when you read about the background. Andy Kaufman. Yes, it was. It's. I think they took Andy Kaufman's life more seriously than Andy Kaufman did. Yeah. Which was a problem. And they there were moments in Man on the Moon where they try to like reflect his style of humor in the movie. But it doesn't... It because just, it ends up being a pat biopic by the end where it's like, and he died, and now we're all sad that he's dead. But he died <laughs> laughing about the fact that he was being conned because he was a con man in some ways. Yeah, it just... And it felt gross because when... I mean, this is so totally shifting from Weird Al, but it's also the... But we're the, talking about biopics. Yeah, so yeah but it ha- had to do with the fact that Jim Carrey was doing method acting and then uh, pretended to be him and talked He said to, he was doing method And acting. then talked to the daughter that was like given up or whatever to, to like she, he was her dad kind of thing. And it was like, oh, it's so healing for so her. Yeah, that was in the, the Netflix thing where it, yes. Kaufman's daughter met with Andy while he was on set. Or not Andy. <laughs> she met with Jim while he was on set. And Jim's whole thing of like, I'm channeling andy and so she got to talk to her dad and it's like no she didn't she talked to you <laughs> and you let her pretend you were her dad you guys had a weird therapy session yeah. thankfully the she was an adult so it wasn't as bad if she had been like a child and this had happened but yeah it's that i feel like the best kind of biopic is either one that doesn't take itself too seriously or like Lorraine has kind of, Pablo Lorraine has kind of mastered that moment. Find the moment and explore the moment. So for Jackie, it was the murder of her husband and the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. For Diana, it was the collapse of her marriage and what that meant in terms of her relationship with her children, in terms of her connection to her identity and her life. And so those are interesting biopics. But Yeah. yeah, I would say if... You can afford a free movie and you have the internet. Uh, There's no reason not to watch Weird Al because it's available. And we are back. And now we're going to be talking about the uh, new Iranian film, Hit the Road. Uh, It's released this year. on a lot of people's top lists so far this year, but we'll kind of see in the next month how everything pans out. I know it's definitely going to be uh, in uh, near the top of my list. Uh, debut film. First feature film. Wow, yeah. Uh, Panah Panai is this the name of this man that I will be following. Uh, so... <laughs> I like the way following. I'm going to find out where he lives. I'm going to follow him. No, uh, he's just one of those... You, there's certain directors like um, Bong Joon-ho. Like the first time I saw a Bong Joon-ho movie like a decade ago, I was like, I'm going to keep following this person and I'm going to keep watching this person's movies because he's doing things that are n- unlike anything I've seen before and he's saying things that I really like to hear. Uh, so Hit the Road, uh, as I said, a film coming out of Iran. Uh, it's a movie that begins in Media Ray. A middle-aged couple and their two sons are going on a road trip across the Iranian countryside. Uh, over the course of their journey, they bond over memories of the past, grapple with fears of the unknown, and fuss over their sick dog. And the whole time, the audience is never given the full details of where they are going, what they are doing, why they are reacting the way they are. And at the end, you're left with a lot of questions. What did you think of Hit the Road? I thought it was a beautifully shot movie with 
that perfect balance of drama and heartbreak and comedy. And I can't say that lightly, especially when it's an Iranian film and it is not a culture that I was t- that I'm tied into. But there were things that I understood while like watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it doesn't tell you at the beginning when you're watching the film, you are really kind of unsure like who the older son is because he's not talking a lot. He's just driving. Well, because let's describe the opening scene. The opening scene is there is an SUV on the side of the road. And we watch uh, a man in his 30s or so, uh, early 30s, come walking over to the SUV. And he kind of, he circles it. The camera kind of follows him as he circles it. Mm -hmm. And the camera's positioned inside the vehicle. And so this is where we're introduced to mother, because none of them get names. We first see the the son, though. Yeah, we we see younger brother, who we're going to talk a lot about that actor. (laughs) Uh, And then we see mother, and then we see father. And father is interesting in that he has this massive cast on one of his legs. Yes. And we're that never gets explained to us. But such a great shot. Such a great yes. shot between the music. Because it, it's the piano is playing, and on the cast, younger brother has drawn piano keys. And is playing. His fingers exactly. are perfectly synced. Yes. yes. It is so good. And it's that is the beginning shot, and you just understand this little boy has a close relationship with this older man. We do not, not know yet the relationship. We don't know yet what the relationship is. And you see the woman and she has her eyes closed as if she's been uh, she's napping or trying to nap. So it's immediately that feel of when you're on a really long road trip and you like stop to take a rest. And there's a sense of intimacy. Yes. You immediately feel like these people are connected. I don't know how they're connected. It could be grandchild, cousin, their son. Yeah. I don't know. And I like, but there's a connection. Like I, I like the fact that I knew there was something in the back of the car, but I wasn't really sure because the son oh, rotates yes. around, kind of smiles. It's sort of like tapping the window. So you're kind of like, is there a child, another child in there? Because the camera's in the front seat. Yes. So you, you're like, who? Yeah, who's? You think who is in the back yeah. car? Yeah, and the back so seat. And so you don't yeah. get anyone's name. So you keep hearing somebody's like, you should go. Take Jesse to go uh, go to the bathroom. Like who's Jesse? And you're thinking, is the little boy Jesse? Is like, and then you realize it's the dog. And that they have a dog in a crate in the back. Yeah. yeah, and so. But then we eventually find out it's not their dog. It's a stray dog that they found, who is in poor health. It was a stray dog that was in poor health that unfortunately the youngest son has already become attached to, and it's essentially everyone's dog. But the mother has been arguing that she had told her husband to go put the dog to sleep because they couldn't afford to take care of whatever disease the dog has. When she feels very, there's a lot of discomfort in the younger brother understanding the dog is dying and grieving and going through that death process. And like her just being constantly like, I don't know like what to do because like, I, how do I explain to my son that this dog is going to die because he doesn't understand. I keep telling him that he's sick. And then the other thing is having to do with the fact that the father apparently isn't as straight um, and narrow as you would expect a father to be in that condition. Um, His leg is broken, but the mother keeps thinking, like, who stays with a cast for, like, six months? It should be healed by now. And, like, so she's very annoyed by him. and And then there's a big emphasis on no cell phones. Yes. Wherever it is they're going, they cannot bring cell phones with them. We, I don't want to give away anything. Yeah. But I will say that someone in the group does have a cell phone that they've kept hidden. 
And that adds a whole other layer to yes. understand what's going on. But I, I want to I step back a little further mm-hmm. instead of the nitty-gritty details of the film and kind of talk about it from sort of a metatextual place. The role, ob- obfuscating the narrative. So by putting the audience in a place of incoherence, essentially, where we're given a bunch of pieces and the director is confident enough to not assemble them for us. How, do you see that as a strength to the film, a weakness? How do you perceive it? I thought it was a strength. At the beginning, I was very unsure, but I also trusted my own intelligence enough to be like, okay, eventually I'll figure out what's going on. Let's just watch the dynamics go through. Quickly, you start to understand, like, this. Uh, the young man that's driving the car happens to be their son. It's their first son. Um, they've obviously had another son later within the years. Yeah, there's a big gap. There's a big gap in uh, years, but their gap is never, like, spoken about. It's never like, why the fuck did you well, have another kid? And I feel like maybe from other Iranian films or other films in that region that I've seen, it's not wildly uncommon for there yeah. to be age gaps sometimes. Like, culturally, that's kind of a thing. It's that almost like... like they, there's a lot of late-in-life yeah, babies. It's, it's also like this thing of maybe they had a son later after they were financially more secure. Um, there is... So it di- didn't affect it at all. I think it almost made it better because I saw later on the conversations that were happening. So they fuss over the youngest son a lot. And he is rambunctious. He's all over the place. He's screaming at times. He he's can't, overstimulated. He's overstimulated. He can't keep still. And it doesn't help that the dad is in a cast because he can't really do much. So the it, mother yes. feels a lot of pressure. All the weight's on her. Because older is, brother is clearly distracted by something. Yes. Um, and so through the movie, you see those dynamics play out um, in a very interesting way where the weight is heavy on her shoulders and so it comes to a point that when they have a stopping point the oldest son and the father have a conversation and the father is like you need to stop venting to your mother and the son's like well you need to stop venting at mom like they're all guilty of relying so heavily on her putting everything on her and And she does this wonderful thing of like She's able to be very lighthearted and find silliness and joy in moments. But then it's almost when... And that's why, like, they're moving. Well, they're in the process of moving is when she's able to find joy and silliness. But it's when they come to these stops and these rests where it's almost like she's forced to think about where they're going and what's going on. That's when you see her weep. That's when you yeah. see it hit her. And it's something that, like, in speaking about it, reminds me... It reflects to me like the way my mother would behave in really sad moments where when the pause was hidden and you were allowed to actually like sit with your emotions, that's when like the tears would come out. And that's when her pleading comes out where she is on when they are moving. She's like, this is the right decision. We're just going to get you wherever we need to go. And at first you're kind of like, you don't know what's going on because everyone else is asking, do you have a traveler with you? You don't yeah, know they where never they're define going. what traveler means. They, you don't know where. You just know that they're going to cross Iranian-like uh, borderlines. To somewhere. To somewhere, and you don't know why. There is remarks about um, him going to go get married. Mm-hmm. But it feels like that's an excuse that they're also giving the youngest brother. And yes. But he then mentions, she said that we would rather elope, though. I got the sense of two things. Mm-hmm. 
that there's a metaphorical reading and then there's a literal reading. Uh, my literal reading of it was the older brother did something that was taboo or forbidden in their culture, in their community, and they have to get him out of there as soon as possible before some sort of authority apprehends him and then they kill him or he's imprisoned. And they, because of that, they've sold their... They put their house on a mortgage yes, and they sold they've risked their car. everything on this. And they sold their car because they keep mentioning that they're in a borrowed car. Yeah. Because, yeah, people like, they at one point in a very funny scene, they hit a cyclist who's in a, like, a cross country race and have to take him in as a passenger. And they are worried about, you know, scuffs on the vehicle because the idea is that, oh, when we go back on our return journey, we have to give this back to our neighbor, whoever they yeah. borrowed it from. Um, my metaphorical reading of it is that none of this is literally happening, but what we're seeing is a representation of grieving and how grief is a process. And most of the time you're just working through it, but then you have moments where you pause and that's when it hits you. Yeah. Uh, and that older brother is possibly dead. And what they're doing is he's passing on into the next life. Yeah. And that's why they can't go with him. Well, I my reading was that he's going to go immigrate to somewhere else for his own safety. They don't know whenever he's going to see him. They're going to see him but, again. And I think the movie works either way. Like, yeah, because... Like, there's no finite yeah, interpretation that would, the director, like explicates to you yeah and it's sort of a perfect thing because remember there's a point that the mother is like well in the future we'll all be back together uh, which together is why i again. think that's why that he's dead is yeah in the future they'll all die but and then they'll be together in heaven well but one of my favorite things is you know mother and father are watching their two sons mm -hmm. um i think the youngest had run off and the oldest went to go check on him because there's like the oldest son is worried about his younger brother because he's like he's act he's like acting out and he and the mother's like he's just sensitive he doesn't know how to express himself but there's a problem they have not told their youngest son what is happening mm -hmm. so he's constantly confused so they're watching them and the mother's like well when he gets there he's gonna achieve a lot of things and then he'll bring us with him um <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like the father's like he'll achieve a, a lot of things yes he'll achieve great things I'm not saying he can't but him and they're watching yeah. him struggle trying to pull his brother back into the car yeah. and he's flailing and he's falling and the, and the father's like him yeah <laughs> like it's they're giving up everything for their oldest son but they're also realistic and they're like He's not doing great. He's really <laughs> struggling. Like, they sacrifice everything for someone they're not that confident is going to do well. The reason it makes me laugh is because I'm pretty sure there are times that my own mother has felt that way between either oh, yeah. my brother or, Everybody, or I. Yeah. I'm sure every parent's had that, like, Jesus, this kid. <laughs> like, I don't know. And, like... And so that part it makes it like it makes it heartfelt and funny because it's two parents who obviously love both of their sons and the mother who views them in this sentiment it's not as if like she has them like she views them as, as, them as tiny kings but she can see that there's good in them and that they mm -hmm. can achieve good things but the father is being realistic but it's also because the father knows where they came from they came from him 
and, and he's, he's a not, fucking mess. Well, because there's that refrain throughout the movie where during those breaks on the side of the road, when the father's by himself, all of a sudden you'll just have this sort of static shot, or it's just a shot directly on the father. He's looking into the camera, slow zoom in, and this very, like, foreboding emotional music playing. And that never is explicitly acknowledged or resolved within the narrative of the movie, but it puts this emotion on the movie that like this is something big like something big is and happening music to these people is a big deal in this music uh, in this movie like music, it's almost a musical in some moments at yeah moments and so what i love is like it was at the beginning where we have this really sad music and you feel like he's his eyes are welling up this is a man who has a broken leg he most of his family is outside of the car and then we move around to the eldest son and in the background we could see like the one of the crutches reaching over and we think he's trying to change the music. No, the motherfucker's stealing the candy. Yeah. <laughs> like... which, which in some ways I'm like, I don't know if we're also meant to read that this is one person, the boy, older brother, and the father, that it's the stages of life, right? Childhood, adulthood, and old age. Yeah. And you're seeing it play out. And then along there is mother, the most important probably person in anyone's life you know the person you come from is your mother yeah and like the dynamics of how these things play together um i want to talk about the performances a little bit uh rayon sarlock was six years old when they shot this movie yeah he is eight years old now um he has delivered one of the most mind-blowing film performances I've ever seen out of a child. Like, yeah, it was it great. Puts so many child actors to shame. Well, <laughs> because and, it's just like, and even just everyone in the film, it's so organic. Everyone yes. is in sync. That the fact that I believe this is a family. There yeah. is never a doubt from like the opening scene that this isn't a real family. That these people don't have this long history together. Yeah, that they are. They love each other, but they also get frustrated with they each other. They get annoyed with each other. They don't want to look at each other, but they can't stand away, be away but from one like another. But they're like committed to getting this older sibling to safety. Yes. Um, but it was a great performance. It, at no point did it feel forced. It felt it's very like a real natural. little kid. Yeah. And so that is something that you have to congratulate the director in because mm-hmm. a lot of times it just feels like they're just looking at a little kid being like, Memorize your lines, do them like bit by bit, but it, it, he doesn't feel like he's actually performing dialogue. Because with a child actor, like you cast them, that's step one. You found somebody who has the potential, but then as a first time director to then be able to coax this performance out of this child is an accomplishment. Like, and I also want to talk about the role of children in Iranian film, uh, back like in 2018 or so, maybe early 2019. Yeah. I remember on the blog, uh, I did a series about Iranian films, and you watch those with me as you watch every movie that I review. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that I noticed was the constant presence of children as a centerpiece in Iranian cinema. Like, almost every movie we watched, a child was core to the narrative. I'm thinking of Bashu the Little Stranger, mm-hmm. about the little boy who shows up out of nowhere and that yeah. woman takes him out. I'm thinking of um, a separation about yeah. the the couple that their marriage is ending, and the film constantly goes back to the daughters, the children who are in the middle of this. Yeah. And while they're arguing, the camera is more interested in the faces of these children and like, what do they feel? What's going on with them? And then the color of paradise about the little blind 
uh, Iranian boy who is part of his whole narrative is about sort of showing the shame in his father for uh-huh. being such a hard-hearted person. Mm-hmm. And so I've thought about, like, well, why is that? And I think it's because maybe in Iranian culture, children are seen as closer to God in just based on practicality. Like, they are more recently born than the adults. Yeah. Therefore, their distance from God is shorter than ours, which means they have an understanding of the world that we lose. Mm-hmm. And so that's where younger brother... While he's naive to possibly the practical things that are happening around him, like what's going on with older brother, emotionally, he is more open to the world mm-hmm. than the other characters in the movie. And I think you see that especially in the final scene of the movie. Yeah. I mean, he's out of the sunroof, you know, lip syncing along with this song, and it's just sort of like embrace of things that are going on that like yeah. he doesn't understand. Things are scary, but he is so full of joy. At the end. Yeah. Anything you want to say about that? Um, I mean, like, the end, like, so for anybody who watches this film, the end part, like, the end, that, that, the piece of acting, everything, Mm -hmm. again, it ties into it feeling like a musical. Uh, There's music playing, and the, the scene that, like, almost brought me chills was the mother has... The, uh, the younger brother is basically like laid across her and he is lip singing along to the song and you're it is in her face she is so full of tears and the fact that like she was able to deliver this acting of unable to withhold her emotions while this child is singing along with like between great sadness and performance, like doing an amazing performance, it is gut-wrenching because you just, you can't look away. You can't look away and it just feels so intimate and there are things that like, this film is great because at the end of the day, the important thing about watching films that are outside of just the your culture, your culture is making you want to learn more about the other culture. It's making you want to understand the other people uh, better. And I feel like that's why people need to reach out and watch things just beyond what Hollywood rep- represents. Well, back when I did that series on Iranian films, it was in response to the America murdering General Soleimani, who was one of the Iranian military leaders. And you can argue that, well, he was a bad man, whatever. Still, it was a violation of another nation's sovereignty yeah. And that's something America specializes in, right? They constantly talk about respecting the sovereignty of other nations and cultures while then, you know, arming and funding movements to destroy that sovereignty. And so I think it's – and that's why I was like, you know what? I haven't watched a lot of Iranian films. I'm going to make myself do it. And I'm so glad that I did because it opened my eyes to a whole new type of cinema that I'd never seen before. So whenever I saw, you know, Hit the Road come across the, you know, the monitor on my computer – and it was Iranian, and it was getting a lot of praise. I'm like, that's going on the watch list because I know there's something good in there. I also want to say the diversity of landscape in Iran is not reflected well in any Western cinema. No. Anytime we see it, it's always desert, crowded well, I city. I thought of a great way to say it. Tijuana and Tehran look identical in American cinema. Yeah. Like, dirty Mexican town and dirty Arab town or Persian town. Let's just put like an orange filter through. Exactly. And it's the, 
where the place that they take the older brother to looks like the Scottish Highlands. Yeah. Like, it was gorgeous. Like, the way they, especially uh, the way Panay, like, frames that. He's very distant when they're there. Uh, and during the trip, he's very close. But when we finally get to their sort of point of destination, he pulls the camera away. And the characters become very small on the screen. We can still hear them. But it's almost like he's taking in sort of the grandeur of this. And it adds a mystery to the place because we don't... Because with the narrative, we don't really know why we're there, but this is like a place of passage. It's a, it's a threshold. It's where the journey for older brother ends, and we don't know what comes next. And that's where I started to think of, maybe this is a metaphor for someone passing into the afterlife, because it the setting has a feel of sort of mysticism. There's something more here. Yeah, and there's also like this odd beauty that after they drop him off, they are, they are surrounded by a community. Yeah, uh, because of everyone, other people of waiting other people for their loved ones, waiting yeah. for their loved ones, and they come together and they're like, someone approaches and asks them, "Do you need help unloading the things from your car?" Hey, my daughter can take your son to go play. Are you hungry? Like this sense of community, which is also the sense of community that you would want when you immigrate to someplace else, is to meet with other people close to you so you can mourn the loss of your own culture because you're going to have to adopt to something else Mm -hmm. that's completely different. And it again, it underlines the importance of watching these uh, different films to understand that there, even though there might be a difference in culture, there's still those emotional ties that like can link us together for us to go like, I understand that. I know what that feeling is, or I know the closeness of that feeling. And I think a lot of um, Western media is predicated on the idea of uh, exclusion and otherizing. Yes. Because that's how you know capitalism maintains its power, right? Um, thankfully, this film is available to stream in lots of places. If your local library is participating in Canopy, it's on there, or Hoopla, it's on there. Uh, if you have Showtime, it's on there. Um, and otherwise, if you have DirecTV, you can watch it there. So if you have any of these services or access to them, I, I highly recommend people watch this movie. There are the, the sleeping bag shot, I'm not going to describe it anymore, it's so is glorious. Cool. It is amazing. It is such, it's one of the best visual transitions i've seen in a movie in years it's something that like twee people or like wes anderson would cry that they'd be jealous of of it they'd be jealous of it that they didn't think about it before it it was done so well and And you you don't expect it like you hear this sound this little chime and then things start changing on the screen and and it's slow yeah it's not immediate this slow pan out where we're like looking down at father in the sleeping bag, and as the visuals around him change, it's just so and good. And it's just like casual conversation between son and father. But then, without giving anything away, this where, who it cuts to next. If you remember where they're looking, mm-hmm. what we realize is that transition was a combination of them overhearing the conversation and what they're looking at. And the two things merge in this shot for us, the audience. Yeah. And so it's just. It's so inventive and smart, and it's something that, like, this director should be lauded, and I can't wait to see what he makes next at this point. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask, and I already know the answer. Do you recommend Hit the Road? Of course. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's one of those where, I know I said, like, Barbarian. I was like, number one movie of the year. 
And then weeks later, we watch this. And I'm like, now I don't know. Like, the thing is, like, Barbarian has its importance. I think Barbarian is, is, in terms of American films, the best American film I've seen all year. Yeah. In terms of films outside of the U.S., this is the best movie I've seen all year. Like, and we have a big slate of foreign films coming up, or non-English films coming up. Uh, here at the end of the year, and that's kind of the way it always goes, because uh, that's when we finally get access to them. And so, you know, this movie, I think, will remain there near the top. I don't know if it's going to stay number one for me, but it's definitely going to be one of my top films of the year, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, that is another episode of the Pop Cult Podcast in the Bag. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll make sure to check out show notes for any relevant links uh, regarding anything we talked about in this episode. You can also follow us over at popcult.blog, where reviews go up every Monday, uh, Wednesday, Friday, and on the weekends. Uh, And lots of fun stuff over there. Podcast is always a very tiny sliver of what we're watching, and you can get a much greater sense of what's going on. Uh, Over on the blog, we are getting close to the end of our series uh, looking at Sergio Leone so we've got uh, one more film to go as of this recording where I'll be reviewing uh, Once Upon a Time in America and I'm, I'm looking forward to writing that one up and as soon as that's done we will be starting our very 2000s Christmas with uh, Ron Howard's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and working our way through some different holiday films of varying quality let's say And then in December, I'm excited about this, is we will be starting off the first half of December uh, by doing a series on the Italian director Michelangelo Antonioni, which besides having a very fun last name to say, Antonioni, uh, has made uh, films that, you know, I've always heard were incredible movies, uh, slow burn movies, thoughtful movies. And so I decided I'm going to take a deep dive in. You know, this year, I've loved reconnecting with Federico Fellini's work, discovering Sergio Leone's work, and I'm, I'm excited to see what Antonioni holds for me. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is you listen, so that you get notified when new episodes come up. And maybe check out our Patreon. Links are in the description of the episode. We have got uh, different reward levels and goals we're working towards, and just trying to build a community of people who share a similar view on a love of movies. I want to thank our patrons, Becca and Matt. They both donate at the $10 uh, writer's room level. And by donating at the $10 writer's room level, they get to pick one movie every week for me to watch and review. Uh, If you donate at that level, you also have the option to share your own thoughts if you're comfortable doing that. And I include those with the review. Well, until next time from the Pop Cult Podcast, keep watching.